Just at home, most of the time you're looking at social media, you're looking at people who aren't going to see their doctors, aren't getting the advice straight from the healthcare professionals, speculating and spreading yeah. misinformation. Hey everyone, welcome to Switch Hub TV. It's your host, Wei and John. Today on the show, we have Stephen Tran. Stephen is a global medical information digital capability manager within the life sciences and pharmaceutical industry. Stephen, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Wei. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Um, in classical Switch Hub fashion, we just want to start off with how and why did you get into science? Yeah, I guess um, it's it's quite a long journey, but I'll, I guess I'll take you back to my childhood. And some things that uh, many of my friends actually don't know is that during my childhood, I was actually quite sick quite often. Um, so most of my childhood memories were actually spent in the hospital, whether it's because of um, certain conditions such as asthma, as well as um, I did have uh, quite a few seizures when I was a kid. Um, and so reflecting back, I think most of my inspiration, my motivation has been looking up towards the healthcare professionals that have been uh, helping me throughout that uh, sort of stage of my life. And so I guess that's sort of driven me towards uh, a passion to helping others um, in the health sector as well as um, general well-being, um, which I guess kicked off um, my, my sort of desire to towards that sort of industry. And, and um, I guess high school, I, I pursued a, a pharmacy degree, which is uh, what, what acted as a basis for my, um, my career so far. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying it was mainly based on your experiences as a child um, in the healthcare setting and, and being around those sorts of healthcare professionals um, that were able to provide you like the services you need you needed in order to you know be healthy and operate normally. Yeah, I think it's it's really that sort of um, the the mindset and that mentality where you're you're putting others in front of yourself, and I think there's a lot of satisfaction and a lot of um, sort of worth worth that you can get out of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really shaped who I am today. Yeah. Yeah. So, go on, go, yeah, go so on. the question I would like to ask is in regards to pharmacy, right? So there's other types of um, science um, around that subject, but if I can ask specifically, why did you choose pharmacy? Um, I mean, it's a good question. I think one of the things that I realized is that with pharmacists, um, they're, they're considered, uh, I guess they're somewhat underappreciated, but at the same time, they're usually the, the, the primary healthcare um, pro professional that you would see for most of your ailments or symptoms as soon as you get something. So if you get a cold, you get a flu, or, or you cut yourself, the first thing you go to is, is a pharmacy, um, where you would speak to a pharmacist, get that sort of best advice. And, and that was, to me, um, I guess it was quite enticing because you're, you're in the front lines, you're seeing um, these patients face to face. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably what motivated me because I think it, it is quite a, a, a wonderful profession as well. And Stephen, could you go into a bit of detail? Because um, I think most of our audience wouldn't be familiar with it. So in terms of um, the three or four or five years you spent at university doing your Bachelor of Pharmacy, what is that like? What's the scope of um, study that you undertake, um, you know, how much of it is it, is it lab-based? 
how much of it is it like lecture tutorial based and what 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 sort of things are you looking at yeah sure um so i guess uh, there is a bit of a caveat where every single uni will conduct their uh, pharmacy degree differently whether it's a bachelor's degree or a master's um the, i went to the university of sydney um undertaking the bachelor of pharmacy and so it is a four-year degree um but forever, um, however, from my personal experience, I actually uh, did part-time for a couple of years, and that was due to a health complication. Um, in terms of the structure itself, um, the first year is quite generic. You, you would experience the basic chemistry, biology subjects. So the first year, you actually get to meet quite a, a diverse cohort of other science students, as well as other healthcare professionals in, in the university. Once you get into about second, third year, that's when it becomes more focused on the pharmacology, the microbiology. And um, there's also uh, placements as well as, well, clinical placements all throughout second and third year, as well as fourth year. And I think with the third and the fourth year, you, you do transition to more of a, a, a better in-depth understanding of the drugs in each therapeutic area, as well as a heavy focus on, so pharmacy management or um, even practicing and preparing for the, the internship year, which follows after graduation. So I think that's generally the, the, the sort of structure. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend consult your university website to see what the actual structure is and have a better understanding of how that flow is as well. Yeah, I hear. Um, I, I want to go more in detail later about the specific sort of placements and internships that you did, but it, it's and I had no idea about this in pharmacy, actually, because from what you what, from what you've said, if I understand correctly, those were compulsory, those sort of placements that you had to do during your undergrad. Um, and I know that for most science degrees um, that, you know, industry placements and things like that aren't compulsory or mandated or um, encar even encouraged by the university. So how much how did you know, how influential was that in terms of um, your development as a as a pharmacist and then going forward in your career? I think it, it is is quite an essential aspect of uh, my career as a whole, because I think when it comes to each university, especially, they have different connections and affiliates, and those affiliates would actually allow those placements to take place. So, for example, um, what I've seen is um, some universities might heavily focus with the affiliates in hospital settings, where they would have uh, a substantial amount of uh, clinical placement positions that are available in the hospital setting, while other universities would have more affiliates in the community pharmacy setting. And um, also in, in some, I guess, in some electives or um, on the fourth year, for example, you can choose to take an industry major where you would be um, taking a placement within a pharmaceutical industry. Um, in my personal experience, I was fortunate to be on all three types of placements throughout my um, degree. So I went through the community pharmacy setting, um, and I was also working part-time at a community pharmacy. And um, I, I did a placement in hospital, um, and I also did uh, a short placement at a pharmaceutical company. And I think with that, um, I guess that really great experience, and then I'm quite fortunate to have that taste of every single aspect. It really gave me a, a good understanding of where my degree can take me and where I actually wanted to be as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your placement um, in terms of the experience that you've gained there and what you did? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I think 
starting off with community pharmacy. Um, like I said, I was working part-time at, a, at a, a, a discount chain and going on these uh, clinical placements, I deliberately chose places that were in contrast to the place I was working to. And the reason being is because I want to experience things on the other side. So um, I got to see smaller managed pharmacies that were doing all sorts of services that we normally don't see in a discount pharmacy chain. And that was quite enlightening and, and seeing how, um, I guess you could be more of a jack of all trades in these particular um, pharmacy owned, um, individual pharmacy owned practices compared to a discount pharmacy. Um, and when it came to, I guess, a hospital, ph a hospital pharmacist, it is, it is sort of like, um, it's very clinical. It's, uh, so you really have to know your, your drugs, your therapeutic areas. And the interesting thing is, generally you would be stationed at a particular ward. And so because you're, you're specializing in that therapeutic area, you, you'll know uh, how to counsel these drugs. But because we are sort of pharmacists who cover across multiple therapeutic areas, you would uh, sometimes be shifted from one ward to another. So you do specialize, but then at the same time, you can also pivot and then relearn um, or be a specialist in, in different therapeutic areas as, as the organization changes. Um, so I guess that's the flexibility of a pharmacy degree. In terms of my experience in a pharmaceutical company, I think it's, it's definitely um, quite a big role um, in terms of what you can do within the, the industry. And that's because there's so many positions and so many personalities that would fit these particular positions. And um, it's, it really depends on what you're looking for in terms of your career, whether you're looking for a, a sort of a hierarchical uh, corporate ladder type of role, or if you want something that's more uncomfortable, I want to just specialize on, on my sort of knowledge and, and improve on that, then there's always other aspects as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the general summary of the different types of placements that went on. Stephen, what, what was the highlight or one of the highlights during your placements? Because you would have seen a lot of things that you wouldn't have been able to see if you just went through your degree without having to do those placements. So what was the highlight? And did your experience, did what you experienced sort of inform the direction that you ended up going in? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think one, uh, I could probably name one or two highlights. Yeah. Uh, one highlight was probably my experience in a hospital placement. Um, and I guess when it comes to healthcare professionals, we, we see doctors as, um, I guess, the very top. They, they know their thing, they're, they're high achievers, they're very smart, and they, they're generally the person that you look uh, listen to. And during my placement in pharmacy, uh, hospital pharmacy, uh, is, is that I noticed that a lot of doctors were actually collaborating with other healthcare professionals and their pharmacists. And what I saw were pharmacists were actually um, voicing their opinions. And, and those voices and their opinions were actually taken into account when it comes to the clinical treatment of these patients. And I guess it's really nice because on, in this particular setting, it's, it really reinforces that it doesn't matter what status you are, it's really about finding the best treatment for the patient. The patient comes first and that is how it should be. So I think that's, it's not something that you, you hear or listen to, but it's, it's really important because the thing is, um, Patient outcomes, patient health comes first always. Yeah. Can you just, that's really interesting to me because I actually, 
maybe this might sound dumb, but I, I had no idea that happened, but it sort of makes sense. I mean, being in a hospital setting, um, from my experience anyway, you only interact generally with the doctors and the, the nurses. Um, but of course, it's, it just seems intuitive now that there, have to be, there has to be like pharmacist people behind the scenes, you know, um, I guess working with the doctors in terms of the clinical information um, and the clinical notes to suggest the best um, path forward in terms of treatment. So can you talk about, talk more about that sort of collaboration with like the doctors and how that, that works? Because I don't think people would have heard or even seen that before. Yeah, sure. So in, in this particular setting, it's usually called an interdisciplinary uh, team. So it's not just pharmacists and doctors, but it's also could be other healthcare professionals, such as occupational therapists, they could be nurses, could be um, a wide range of healthcare, allied healthcare professionals. And generally what they do is, is um, from I guess from a patient perspective, you go to a hospital, you see a doctor, as you mentioned, and then the doctor dismisses you, well, not dismisses, but discharges you after treatment, and you go home and you wouldn't know anything about it. But behind the scenes, you would have a pharmacist checking your, your medication charts, you have your nurses checking your observations on a regular basis. It really depends what, what you're in there for, but um, I think whenever, especially if, a, if it's a, a critical case, you'd often have times or meetings in, within the hospital in a, a, a sort of a room where the doctors and all the specialists and, and allied healthcare would actually speak together about a particular case and say, okay, this patient has X, Y, Z. Uh, we recommend this, what is your opinion? And often they would collaborate and, and talk about what's the best uh, way out. And I think those the sort of things you generally don't see, but um, it, it does take place and uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah. Right, not not to go in depth of any um, classified information, but has there any been misdiagnosed by the um, pharmacy staff in order to like you know when you recommend to a doctor an accidental misdiagnose? What are the consequences if there is any? See, I I don't have any particular examples, but we do talk about this in university where with all humans uh, there's always a chance of error. Yeah. And so what you have to do is you have to take a look at it from a sort of a, a, sort of a, a mesh seeding end. So imagine you have uh, one particular particle or, or ball and you have different meshes in place. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the health industry is, is, um, has, is that they have multiple mitigation steps to avoid these errors. So it's not common at all to, to have these particular misdiagnoses because you have so many people looking at this particular case, whatever it is, and they, they check, they get their initial sort of diagnosis and they check again. And, and these sort of multiple steps and, and confirmations really reduce that from possibly happening at all. Um, but if it does, uh, in the event that these still incidents do happen, then generally they will try to investigate what, which particular step failed. Where, why did it fail? And then try to put, put in preventative measures to make sure it doesn't ever happen again. Um, hope that answers your question. You know, that was, that was a good explanation, Stephen. Um, so following on from that, um, you ended up working as a medical information associate. So how, how did you make that jump? How did you make that transition? How did that end up happening? If you can talk about that yeah, and give us some context. It, it does lead into um, back, going back to my clinical patients where I did try a, a pharmaceutical company. Um, 
uh, short question up there. And what I notice is that um, there's, there's a lot of bad stigma when it comes to big bad pharma. But once you actually see the work that's being done, you realize that um, these are just honest human beings who are just trying to um, use their scientific skills to better um, and, and create a service that's good for everyone. So um, I think when I, I did my placement in medical information, I saw that we are interacting with patients, whether they, when they particularly, in particular, they call up the pharmaceutical company and they ask for information. This is what medical information does, whether you're a patient or you're a doctor or you're a pharmacist. If you call up a pharmaceutical company requesting for information on their products, we are, um, we will provide you the most um, up-to-date, unbiased information that we have on these particular products. And for me, that, um, for me, I, I felt like working in, in a community pharmacy for about five or six years at that time, I felt that I needed to develop myself further in, a, in an area that I'm not usually, um, uh, that I need to develop in. So um, with medical information, I saw as a, a nice sort of transition to utilize my previous skills that I gained during a, um, my, my pharmacy days and, and still apply that to something that can still help and reach patients out in the world. Um, so I think that transition wasn't too difficult. And I felt like it was, it was sort of going outside of my normal comfort zone to develop myself further. Yeah, I hear. And it's, it's, it's interesting when I, um, I guess when I look at your, at your profile, because you've sort of been um, rising up the ranks in your company. So you sort of started as a medical information associate, then you went into a senior, and then now you're looking at a global level. Um, so when, when, if you could just explain a little bit in terms of the difference between um, being like a global medical information specialist versus just at a local level, because um, it seems like you, you, you sort of, if, am I correct in saying that that's been one of the, um, I guess, the developments within your career so far? Um, I guess it, it really, it is dependent on the organization as well. Um, it, it, it's all based on how the organization is structured in the medical information department. Um, so I guess with, with a lot of companies, uh, you would have a local team um, and a, as well as um, sometimes they would also have a regional team or a global team. And these teams would, uh, depending on the work, they would collaborate and usually it's a top-down approach as well. So you would have um, so uh, if I was to describe, say, a, a medical affairs department, you would have that particular structure as well, and all the information would be generated by the global division. That would be triaged down to the regional, and the regional would be triaged down to local, depending on if they have those particular teams. And I guess it's, it's very similar across all departments, not just medical information, but um, I guess that's the, the transition where if, in my personal experience, I, I did sort of it was quite a steep learning curve, um, especially transition from, from community pharmacy to pharmaceutical industry, um, because you do have to pick up on a lot of things, um, such as uh, sort of business acumen and, and um, understanding the difference between uh, sort of uh, personal advice as well as unbiased scientific information, where, where in a pharmacy setting, you can provide a clinical judgment, well, um, medical information you can't. And for me, I was able to sort of transition and, and pick things up, um, I guess, at a, a pace that was satisfying 
satisfactory to the to the people I reported to. And um, through that, I think my uh, achievements were acknowledged, and that is how I transitioned from uh, a normal uh, medical information associate and, and became a senior. From my transition from senior to a global position, I think that was um, it, it was part due to the fact that I I did cover quite a bit of aspects in the local team. At the same time, I because I have been communicating with the global team um, in terms of their work, I think they it gave me an understanding of what their sort of roles and duties were. And so when there was a position, I, I, I applied for it. And um, I think I was fortunate enough to be selected, went through the interview process, and um, I am, I guess, where I am today. Um, but yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. And Stephen, something I want to ask, it's, it's hard to avoid the topic of COVID, right? So how has, I'm thinking of how to phrase this, how has COVID and I guess what's going on in the world, um, has it in any way changed or influenced the nature of your role being a medical, being in the medical information, being in a medical information role in terms of, you know, there's a lot of misinformation going on right now. There's a lot of people that are scared. Um, a lot of people that are reactive. That's right. Um, and so, how how has COVID influenced your work in any way, or in, you know, if any, if you could give, and if it hasn't, any insights in terms of what's going on with the nature of like misinformation, um, particularly regarding like pharmaceuticals and what we're putting out in the world to try and address this pandemic. Yeah. So what what I have noticed is that because of because of this whole situation of lockdowns and and the sort of um, the whole sort of new environment where we're always at home all the time. The concerning, concerning thing I've seen is that often people who do need medical treatment or, or want to know more about sort of their medicines they're taking or, or any aspect of, of what they're going through is that they don't actually seek it during this time where um, back then, because we're out and about, people are more receptive to speaking to their local pharmacy, they're speaking to their doctors, Nowadays, it's much harder for them to do that. Um, but I, I strongly urge that patients who do need treatment should consult their healthcare professionals even during this time. Because I think even with the lockdown right now, um, seeking health is, is an essential um, service and need. So if, if you do need to go out to see the doctor during the um, lockdowns, I do strongly encourage that you do that. Because um, I think there's, there's been a lot of um, as, as you stay at home, most of the time you're looking at social media, you're looking at people who aren't going to see their doctors, aren't getting the advice straight from the healthcare professionals, speculating and yeah. spreading misinformation. And that's probably where you've probably heard that about. Um, so I guess um, it's always to keep in touch with, with your healthcare professionals, especially when you do need help. But at the same time, always look at information from reputable sources. So there's a lot of government based websites that um, provide this information. There's also reputable um, organizations online, such as Mayo Clinic or the Better Health uh, website from the Victoria government. Um, I think there's, there's many, but at the same time, you do have to look at where's this information coming from and um, really try to, um, I guess, don't misplace your trust in, in anecdotal evidence. So he said, she said, is not yeah. as powerful as say clinical trials or what your doctor or, or, or pharmacist or other healthcare professional might say. 
Yeah. So with your position, do you have to research about COVID as well? Um, yeah, so there, there is certain aspects, because I think with COVID, because it has touched so many people, um, you have to understand that when someone has COVID and they're taking medications, for example, you want to understand if there's any interactions or any effects that it makes, um, may happen. So I think um, it's, it's without a doubt impossible to avoid looking into the evidence behind um, or anything relating to COVID as, as you look into uh, your your sort of products that you manage. Yeah, awesome. If if we could s- switch topics for a little bit, Stephen, just wondering, do you have advice for any up and coming pharmacist or any student, maybe high school or university who's currently studying pharmacy or wants to get into pharmacy? Um, yeah, do you have any advice for them? And I don't know if things have changed since you went to university and studied your bachelor's. Um, but what insights do you have if they're sort of considering pursuing something like that or think that they might be interested in it? Yeah, so I guess there's, when it comes to pursuing a pharmacy degree, I think there's quite a lot of avenues that you can go down with this particular degree. Um, one benefit would be to, before jumping into it, understand maybe a hint of what you want. Um, otherwise, um, I guess, in my personal experience, in my I guess my first year or two um, of my pharmacy degree, I was quite lost and didn't know what I wanted to do at the end of the degree. Even though it was quite straightforward, I was still working at a community pharmacy, but I didn't know where I'd be in 10, 15 years down with my degree. And it's quite apparent, considering that a lot of pharmacists actually change professions within two, three years of graduating. So I guess you do have to take into account and say, what are you comfortable with? And do you see this as a sort of a development process or do you want this to be sort of a lifelong uh, career? And um, once you take that into perspective, then it, it sort of, uh, and you've made that choice, then my recommendation is probably just to stick with it and then and then see where, where, where that degree can take you. Because I think, um, with a pharmacy degree, it, it has that flexibility where you're also a scientist, you, you specialize in chemical, you specialize in biology, um, but it, it can take you places where you normally wouldn't even imagine. So one example would be, um, you might not want to work in a community pharmacy, but there's also positions in the finance industry where you'll be being a consultant with a pharmacy background, um, or you could be an auditor, um, in, in a pharmacy setting. So there's there's a lot of interchangeable skills that you can use um, with a pharmacy degree. Yeah. And something that I want to... You mentioned, you mentioned there that within the first two years of graduating, a lot of um, pharmacists actually change or transition out of pharmacy. Do you know why that is? Um, um, it's sad to say, but... I think even though after graduation, it's, it's one of the highest employment rates, it's about I think 90% or so above, that's because of the internship year. Um, but truth be told, I think the remuneration for a community pharmacist is quite lacking. And, and considering that pharmacists provide such an essential service to the public, it's, it's very underappreciated to be honest. And I think um, as sad as it is, money speaks. 
Um, people have to pay the bills. They need to support their family. Um, and, and I know that a lot of pharmacies actually try to be competitive with the salary. But um, if you compare to other healthcare professionals, other healthcare professionals and, and degrees that take four years or longer, um, it's just not enough. Um, but I think that's that's what I've seen and what I've heard. And I think um, it's, yeah, it's, it's very hard to see where it's going to be in, in, say, five, 10 years down the line. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, Stephen, right? Because from what I know, the ATAR to get into pharmacy is quite high and ATAR is normally proportional to the demand. So I would assume that there's still quite a large demand or, um, you know, a large desire for people to to end up in, in pharmacy, but they're not getting, I guess, the required um, equivalent, mark, right? equivalent outcomes. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying as well? Yeah, I think it's, it's about recognition as well. Um, so the amount of effort you put in, the amount of work is, is sometimes undermined by, or, or um, it's reflective of, of how much you get paid basically. So um, I think a lot of pharmacists are there um, and, and they do most of the work because they do generally care about patients, but when their personal needs, such as, uh, I guess, supporting their own family financially is not met, then it makes it very difficult to put others in front of you when you can't look after yourself. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the, the biggest issue that, that I see in, in the pharma, community pharmacy setting in, in general. Yeah, yeah. And... Um... I know we're close to wrapping up here, but I really want to ask about this. I can I can see that you sort of returned to uni a few years ago to do your your masters. Is is that right? And yeah. Um, what's that about? And how you balance it? So, exactly. Um, how are you balancing everything? Yeah. So besides doing a full time job, I'm undertaking a part time masters of philosophy at the University of Sydney. So it's it's really just a research degree, um, and so the reason why I pursue it is because it's it's similar to every um, profession. One thing that I've taken out of my pharmacy degree is that when you're going to the internship year, you do CPD uh, points. So continue professional development. And one thing I took from that is that no matter where you are, you always have space to grow. You have to always have space to learn. And I took on this research degree because it's a particular topic that is quite close to my heart. So um, this particular topic is, is the use of sort of gamification and financial incentives in mobile apps to help improve medication adherence. So it's one part um, about games incentives where I'm quite interested in. At the same time, it's my medication adherence, which is a very health oriented topic. So um, in terms of how I'm juggling it, I think it's, it is, um, you need a lot of good time management as well as the support of, of your employer to ensure that there's no conflicting times, or if there is, there's a lot of flexibility in terms of managing, say, meetings and, and um, the needs of, of my research. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is, I'd say it's, it's not a walk in the park, juggling a, a family, studies and work, but it's, it takes a lot of effort, but I think it's definitely rewarding to, to always try to develop yourself and, and it will always pay off in the future. What's the prerequisite to get into Master of Philosophy in where you are now? Yeah, so I think it's, there is a, it depends on the, the faculty as well. Um, I guess from my personal experience, I did reach out to a lot of, a lot of the contacts that I, I still had 
in, in the university. And I think one thing they do is they, they actually look at your application, the project that you want to undertake, as well as your previous marks in the university, and they assess that on a case-by-case -case scenario. So um, I, I can't really say specifically, but I definitely recommend if you do pursue, say, postgraduate research, then you should consult your university website for further details. Yeah. Cheers, Stephen. We're, we're just about out of time, so we'll have to close the show. Thanks for taking the time to, to being on our show and sharing your insight. Thanks for having me.